All right, <clears throat> we are doing a series on joy, and um, the, we're actually continuing the series uh, that we started two weeks ago. Pastor Tim has done the last two weeks, uh, beginning with Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and I was going to start there, and <clears throat> um, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. So with that, let's pray and then we will start. Father, thank you for loving us. Lord, you are so gracious, so kind and loving. Thank you for the privilege of being able to teach this book. Lord, help me to set myself aside. Lord, and Lord, help me to listen to you tonight as we share through the scriptures. Lord, I trust that you would touch our lives just with the, the understanding of who you are, what you've done, what you've accomplished. And Lord, all that is ours, that woman from Truth For Women, she shared it all. It's amazing as we begin to discover who we are in Christ and all that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. That was a tremendous testimony. And God wants to take us all to that point where we begin to realize who we are in Christ as the Lord continues the work. Um, <clears throat> I was, as he said, these churches get, I mean, I, I, I usually attend March Street. Every once in a while I'll come down here on a, a Saturday night and hide up in the balcony, but um, usually I, I attend March Street in the morning, but the Lord is doing something here. And you have a tremendous head uh, teacher in Pastor Tim. He's doing a really, really good job. I just thoroughly enjoyed last week's message sitting there, and then I uh, listened. I was away the week before, so, but I listened to it online. And I think if, you have, if you've missed any of the last two series um, with Pastor Tim, um, you would benefit tremendously going back in and listening to it. And you're going to hear much of what he shared last week tonight because it's the foundation of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but it's a continuation of an 11-week series on the fruit. Uh, last week, Pastor Tim taught on the first of the fruits, love, which was an extremely exciting message. The ability to love is not from us, it is from the Lord. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that God does in us and through us. And the fruit of the Spirit is something that comes out of us as we learn to walk with the Spirit of God on a daily basis. And notice, it's, it's His fruit. Um, how many of you have vacuum cleaners? Electric vacuum cleaners at home. How many have that? Alright, when's the last time you tried to vacuum without the vacuum cleaner plugged in? The vacuum cleaner is a nice thing, but it doesn't work unless it's plugged into its source of power. And you and I as believers, we, there's, we, there's a tremendous ability of God to work through our lives, but we have to be plugged into Him. Not to ourselves, not to an agenda of trying to arrive somewhere, not to try to meet everybody's expectations of what my life has got to look like. 
I need to begin to understand that I have the Spirit of God living in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Look at Galatians 5.16. In Galatians 5.16, we live in such a different age. And by the way, do you know when things change, you can always see the confusion? Those kids were ready, ready to go out that door. You know, and then we change it up and everything. You know, it takes a little while as we begin to change some things around. And almost all my verses are going to be on overhead tonight. Um, so, but Galatians 5, 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. <clears throat> what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It is learning to walk moment by moment, sensitive to the Spirit's work in my life. He uses Scripture, teaching from believers, to direct my path every day. Some would call it practicing the presence of God. Recognizing, you know, rather we, uh, when I was first saved and going to Bible school, I remember one of my professors said that um, he went up to a movie, you know, and he wanted to go in and see a movie he probably shouldn't be seeing, and, but he knew that the Holy Spirit was inside him, and what he really wanted to do was say, Holy Spirit, do you mind waiting out here while I go in and come back out again? But it, it doesn't happen that way anymore. The Spirit of God lives within us. He's with us every place we go. And, and it's not walking side by side. He's literally within. Jesus dwells within us in the person of the Spirit of God. And uh, so when we talk about that vacuum cleaner, if it's not plugged in, it isn't going to work. But <clears throat> we can't make up this fruit. It's genuine, but it flows from the Spirit of God. And so often in Christianity, when someone becomes to Christ, we spend our time trying to tell them what to do. You got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. We spend so little time talking to them about how to walk in the, with the Spirit of God and recognizing who they are in Christ and that they have everything necessary to live the Christian life from the moment they are saved. The Word of God begins to enhance our understanding of who we are and all that we have. And this is God's tool, but it's our tool. This book has one purpose, and it's to reveal our relationship to Jesus Christ. Because Christ himself is the source of our victory. He is the source of all that we have. Um, we can't make up the fruit. It's a genuine uh, fruit that comes from the Spirit. The moment you meet someone who is genuine, you feel at ease. Something about them radiates the acceptance of you and the love of God towards you. I've had many such individuals along my journey in my years. I'm getting older than I really realize. But in, in the years and the places I've been, I've had so many wonderful people come alongside my life and begin to minister to me in love and grace. And it has transformed my life. Um, Week one, Pastor Tim talked about what it is like to walk in the Spirit. The center text was um, walking in the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But <clears throat> from the moment we trust Christ, the Spirit of God takes up that residence in our heart and he's given us a new heart with new desires. So often we talk about the heart being deceitful and desperately wicked. No, God has given us a new heart with new desires. 
The, the issue for the believer is that we need to begin to learn how to listen and tune into that new heart and the new desires that God is placing in our heart and begin to follow and understand where God wants to take us. The Spirit of God is teaching us who we are in Christ, all that is ours because of our new life in Christ. And this is the essential part of the truth. Look at Romans 6. I am so happy. I got it all written out in front of me, and I'm turning it to it into my Bible. I don't need to turn it to my Bible. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. He says, um, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, Pastor Tim did the same verses last week, and they were awesome. But there's an important reason for doing this. We need to begin to understand that the foundation of having the fruit of the Spirit in our life has to come from our understanding of who we are in Christ and our ability and understand that we have been given victory over sin. It came with us the day we received Christ. The day we recognized that our earning our own salvation was hopeless, impossible for us to do on our own, and we turned to the Lord, we died with him. We, were, we died with him, we were buried with him, we were raised in newness of life. And being raised in that newness of life, it is the foundational teacher. Victory over sin has already happened. We are free from the power of sin. It is the Holy Spirit who reveals our sin to us so that we can reckon it dead and have victory over it. He never reveals sin to us for the purpose of condemnation. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But the Spirit of God who lives in us does reveal our sin to us. He reveals when we're walking in our flesh. He reveals when the source of our life has ceased being plugged into the Spirit and is plugged back into this old man who supposedly died. But the only thing that gives power to this old man is our own personal choice. When we choose to let our old man begin to run our lives. That's our choice. We can plug into him. But he is technically dead. And Romans says, to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servant you are. We have a choice that we never had before we trusted Christ. The moment we trusted Christ and received the Spirit of God in our lives, we have a choice every day to whom we are going to yield to. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 11 in Romans. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Victory in the Christian life is by faith. This is a faith appropriation of truth. Sin, my personal pleasure, does not need to control my life. Jesus Christ is my victory. He has freed us from the law of sin and death. And it's a truth the same truth that gives us eternal life by faith. I trust in Christ. He gives me eternal life. And so often in Christian circles, we talk about 
we, we make the whole issue about eternal life and trusting Christ so that we know we can go to heaven. But so much more than that happened when we trusted Christ. When we trusted Christ, he died, and he's given us the ability and the power to have victory over sin, which is through his spirit. But we need to reckon ourselves dead to it. When you're sitting there and you're watching TV, you know, for four hours in a night, and the thought just begins to hit you, oh, man, I'm wasting this whole night. You know, that, that ability, that's the Spirit of God beginning to speak. And as he's nudging us, it's a voice, it's just speaking within the heart. And the truth of Scripture says, this thing that I'm watching doesn't need to control my life tonight. I could get up, I could go turn it off. But you, we have to make the choice by faith and I need to recognize I don't need to be controlled by the boob tube. I don't need to be controlled by my phone. I don't think there's anything funnier to me when I go to a restaurant and I watch couples on a date and they're sitting across from each other and they're spending the whole night really communicating with each other. I don't know whether they're texting each other or who they're texting, but they're not talking to each other. They're both looking at their phones and they're spending the whole, just absorbed with their phone. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, that was an exciting date. That must be, you know, for the two of them sitting there just talking. Talk. Some of us are so controlled by things that we need to begin to understand that there are people sitting around us that people, you know, and that maybe God would have us talk to each other, you know, for a little while. And, uh, but you, can, you have the power to put the phone down. There's nothing sinful about the phone, by the way. But we have that power to say, this phone doesn't need to control me right now. Uh, you know, there are other things to do. Okay, back to Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 16. The same verse that we had at the very beginning. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There is a struggle between our flesh, our desire to have life centered around me and my desires, or my understanding that Christ has saved me for a far greater purpose than myself. My life is in Christ. Learning to live for others is such a better way to live. I remember the night, there, we all have certain real moments. I remember the night I trusted Christ. But I remember the next most unique night, I was, uh, the pastor had been doing a whole message on the Peter. He, had been, he did a three-week sermon on the life of Peter, and it was the third night he was finished doing a sermon on Peter, I was newly saved. And I, I really enjoyed the series. I, I feel like we all are Peters, the way we live our Christian life. And God is constantly being faithful to us and teaching us. But that night, he gave an invitation, and he simply said within the invitation, he said, you know, he said it was the end of the sermon, we were all standing there, and he said, who really knows what's best for your life? Do you know what's best for your life or do you think the person who created you knows what's better for your life? You know, and I sat there and I realized, newly saved, I don't think I had been saved for more than a year at that time, but I sat there and I said, Lord, you probably know far better what to do with my life than I do. And I just said, Lord, what you want is what I want. But it's a surrender to understanding. And, and, it, and we, we sometimes make that such a work Surrender is not so much of a work, but a recognition that God knows what's better for my life. And the fact, you know, and we're going to see it in a couple of minutes, 
He loves me beyond anything I could ever comprehend this side of glory. Why not surrender to someone like that? I'm not surrendering to a slave camp or to, I'm surrendering to the one person who not only knows what's best for my life, but he loves me beyond and better than anybody else can love me, except maybe my mom. My mom, my mom loved me all the time. <laughs> she was great. When, when, when I was engaged for 20 minutes, and the girl gave back the ring, you know, and um, I, I, I wanted to hide it from everybody, you know, my long 20-minute engagement. And uh, my wife says, my mom says to me, her loss. You know, she was so good to me. I was loved by my parents. I really appreciate that. But, you know, I watched uh, The Case for Christ last night. That was a powerful movie. And it is an awesome thing what, what, what uh, Lee Strobel does. I don't know, how many of you have seen that? Anybody seen the movie? It's a really, really good movie. I want to point some, one thing out about that movie that uh, if, you don't, if you didn't catch it, all the facts and all the arguments in the world is not what changed his heart. Now, he is a tremendous uh, apologetist for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ today because of all the work he did and all the researches he did. But you notice the turning point in his life came when he finally discovered that his father had loved him. He was an angry, bitter man feeling extremely unloved. The power of love, and I think understanding that his father had loved him opened the gates for him to begin to understand the love of God. And that's one of the, the most exciting things that sometimes, unfortunately, people grow up in such unloving homes. It's so difficult for them to trust God and recognize how loving God really is. But he wants to be the father to the orphan and the, and the father to all of those. But there's a struggle between our flesh, our desire to have life centered around me and my desires and my understanding what Christ has. But <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit begins to enter our life, he begins to do things. Do you understand that the church exploded under the power of the Holy Spirit from Pentecost? The New Testament was not even written at that time. <clears throat> the Spirit of God is the power and the source of the energy for the church. And that's where God wants to take us. He never leads. We, sometimes we worry so much about the Holy Spirit that we stifle him. I mean, I grew up in a fundamental, I went to a fundamental church, I went to a fundamental college, and we talk about the Holy Spirit, and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit that I was taught was excellent. But people were so afraid of telling people that you could begin to listen to the Spirit of God in your heart that they begin to stifle the work of the Holy Spirit. But if we're a believer, we have the Spirit of God in us, and we can begin to trust that God wants to walk work in us and through us and he whispers to us and he does all types of things through the scriptures and through the believers and through the body of Christ to help us but we need to believe we will never listen to the spirit of God talk to us if we don't believe he speaks but he speaks and we need to begin to listen and obey the things that he brings to our attention as we learn to walk with the Lord daily at work, home, school, and learn to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit begins to flow out of our life. The first fruit is love, which Pastor Tim did a marvelous job last week. Uh, 
if you missed it, I, I cannot encourage you enough to listen to it. His whole sermon on love itself was just awesome. But as he mentioned, love is the foundation of the other fruits. Everything flows out of love. As we begin to look at joy, I want you to see something about life flowing from love. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And Paul is praying for the believers, and he says, according to the, he says, my prayer for you is that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. But the rooting and grounding is in his love, not my love for him. It's his love for me that roots and grounds me. It's my assurance that every day I get out of bed in the morning, I am loved by God. And that God has an awesome plan for my life. And as I grow confident in that, you know, we're rooted in him. Then we go to the next set, same, same verses, but 18, 19. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, note the comma comes, you being rooted and grounded in love, comma, Ephesians then 18 and 19, he says, as we're rooted and grounded in love, we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Love surpasses Knowledge knowledge puffs up, love edifies. But it says we are filled with the fullness of God as we begin to comprehend the height, the width, the depth. It says that fills us to the fullness of God is being able to comprehend just how loved we are by God. Uh, notice that the understanding of the deep love of God for his creation is what brings us to the fullness of God. Um, it is a deep relational experience with the truth of just how much God loves us. Christians, we spend so much time and energy trying to earn something that God has already bestowed upon us. He extravagantly, freely gives us his love in Christ, through Christ, every day. We live so much of the Christian life in the flesh trying to earn God's love, which we already have, by measuring up to some standard that does not exist instead of simply enjoying who I am in Christ. There is a rest for the believer. And as we begin to rest in who I am, and I can genuinely begin to believe that God begins to teach and show me what he wants me to do each day, and I can have confidence in that. But it is practicing the presence of God in my life on a daily basis. It is recognizing that Jesus is walking with me each day, so then what does, so as we finish with love, but I want to show you where love goes, but as we understand the deepness of that love, what is joy? Joy is what floods my soul as I comprehend what the Spirit is trying to teach me. I can't fake joy. It flows from a heart filled with the truth of God's love for me. I don't deserve it or earn it. That joy comes as I understand and comprehend that I am loved. <clears throat> love is a deep need in everybody's life. As we begin to understand that love, and we begin to accept what God is trying to teach me, 
It begins to give me a joy inside that this world cannot imitate, it cannot substitute for. <clears throat> Titus 1-2. It says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. The word hope there translates and carries the meaning of joyful anticipation. In joyful anticipation of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. As God reveals truth to us, it causes us to rejoice <coughs> in the inner man. Most of us can remember the day <coughs> that we really began to understand the truth of the gospel. And I understood the night that I trusted Christ. I remember I was raised um, in a religious institution and I, I, you know, until I was in college. And the night I understood that Jesus died for me, I had, I had understood all kinds of things. Actually, I was an agnostic at the time. And, uh, but I remember when the man was given an invitation to trust Christ, I remember looking up to heaven and realizing, Lord, you died for me. That's why you died. I, was, I knew he died. I was told he died to open up the gates of heaven. I knew he was God's son. Uh, <clears throat> I knew a lot of different things. But all of a sudden, one night, I understood that he died for me. And I never doubted my salvation from that night. I walked out of there with a joy in my heart that I just couldn't, that, you know, that I understood that God loved me, just me. He died for me. <clears throat> but how does joy become a fruit of the Spirit? Remember that the one faucet of the Holy Spirit is that he reveals truth. He brings to memory the things that we learn. Remember that love surpasses knowledge. This, this book is a book of truth. Its purpose is not for us to learn how to control God. It is God's love letter to us. The Spirit illumines truth to our heart. As our heart captures that truth, it produces joy. The day I, oh, I, I just shared that part of my testimony, the Holy Spirit is causing me to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. He opens my eyes to see God at work. <clears throat> what, a, what an exciting thing. You know, the one thing that as we begin to discover the Lord and the Lord's love for us, we also begin to discover worth. We find that we have value. Do you realize how valuable you are and we are and I am? The God of the universe sent his son to die on Calvary's cross. That's how much you are loved and valued by God. And he didn't do it just so that you would do all this work or, or, or become a member of something. He simply did it because he loved you. God has desired our fellowship he, he created Adam and Eve. He fellowshiped with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve walked away, the, the door was blocked. <clears throat> By the way, this book is not the story of man seeking after God. This book is the story of God seeking after man. The very first thing that God did when Adam and Eve fell was he came after them because he loved them. <clears throat> he is faithful to you and I, and he never stops pursuing us with his unending love. But what does joy look like? 
<clears throat> Joy is not pleasure. In fact, the Bible contrasts pleasure as something that is fleeting and a product of the desires of the flesh. The world bombards us daily with our need for pleasure, a life of luxury. You need this. You need this to make your life happy. You need this to make your life happy. The world just continues to throw things at us with a false concept of what happiness is. Joy is not happiness. Joy is an inner expression that goes on inside the heart that just makes life exciting. Um, <clears throat> this is football. This is a big football thing. Everything's here, at the time, you know. And uh, I apologize to the Patriot uh, people this, tonight, but um, <clears throat> for my earlier statement. But you know, George Griner died two days ago, and most of you will look at me and say, I don't know who's George Griner. Never heard of you. George Griner was a high school coach for football coach over in the uh, middle of New Jersey. Probably one of the most successful football coaches that ever existed in New Jersey. One of the best records in, in the history of the state. He was winning championship after championship after championship. And he realized his life was dead, empty. I don't even remember who played in the Super Bowl last year. But George found that his life was empty. And after all the success, he just looked and he said, I'm not happy. It, you know, and someone led him to Christ. And this man was a you know, high school football coach, led him to Christ. But he just began a Bible study at McDonald's in Clinton <clears throat> some around 25 or 26 years ago. He started a Bible study in, Cl in McDonald's in Clinton. I started attending that Bible study about 17 years ago. And um, we have seen over 100 men come in and out of that Bible study, you know, just to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. Most of us were all high school coaches. And we found a place and a source where <clears throat> we helped each other keep our focus on the fact that coaching was an opportunity to have a ministry with young people. That our job was to help them grow and mature in life. It wasn't about winning. It was about, you know, and I will tell you, I have memories of joy, you know, and the things that I've learned. But this man found that all the winning in the world doesn't bring the happiness and the joy that walking with Jesus Christ did. He left such a tremendous testimony. Um, I sense joy in my life when I feel a part of God's work. Life is not about me, it is about God and what he is doing. Yet he gives me the joy of seeing him work. I, I cannot tell you how much I enjoy working next door at the um, counseling center. I have the joy of participating in his work. You know, when we're ministering with people, you know, we, people are not objects to convert to, to Christianity. They are people to love. And God, you know, and, and when you're in a conversation or when you're at work, when you ask yourself the question, I wonder what God's doing in their life. Because God is at work. He's faithful. And our job is to partner with him as we minister to people. Um, but we have the 
the joy of participating in his work. God wants a personal relationship with us, and we need to experience his work in our life, and we will want others to experience the joy we have as we watch God work in us and through us. This happens wherever we are. Parents, opportunities with your children. Every day we have the opportunity to touch people with the love of God at work or school. But as we do, God begins to produce a joy in us as we begin to find that the, just the joy of loving people. <clears throat> Somebody really challenged me on something, and I, I, I want to just share this thought with you. I, I, I find that if I don't share it, I forget it. But so often we use the concept of the thought of the fact that God wants to use me. God wants to do more than just use us. And in fact, a person who has been sexually abused, that's probably the worst phrase you can use for them to tell them about God. Because they've been used. We're not just tools. If, if I was a painter over here, I don't talk to my tools. I don't have fellowship with my tools. The tools are just something I do to use to create and do something. We are the children of God. We are God's children. He's not just using us. He is living with us. In fact, he says, I have, <clears throat> John said this, but at the same time, you have to understand that God is the same expression. I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. Jesus wants to walk with us, in us, and partner with us. And we have the joy and the ability to be able to partner with him and, be, and, and have the Lord give us an opportunity to minister to people. And, and it's an exciting, thrilling relationship. <clears throat> but joy does a little bit more. James 1, 2 and 4 He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. How can you count it joy? We cannot count it joy if we are not realizing and trusting and experiencing the work of God in us. As we learn to walk with the Lord, we begin to understand that God is doing a work in our lives. And as he begins to do that work in our lives, we begin to experience it. We can begin to count it joy because I have confidence in the God who loves me, the God who dwells in me, and the God that he is doing something in my life in the midst of my trials. As I have that confidence <clears throat> that he is at work in my life, then I have the ability to count it joy when I face various tri trials that we face. We live in a fallen world, and every day this world around us is disappointing. And we can get so lost in looking at the world that we forget that God is working, and his, he's bringing his plan to fruition, and he's not done. And no matter what we think, <clears throat> and one of the things that I, I will tell you that this one thought here, I watched the Lord change and transform my life through failure after failure. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but I watched God use them in my life to transform me. So that when my son is making some bad choices, and he would be calling me from England to tell me 
at least we had a wonderful relationship where he could call me and tell me what he just did. He really messed it up. I had a confidence that God's at work in his life and that I can encourage him and I can point him to the fact that, you know, son, God still loves you. He's not done with you. You know, and it's something about with believers when we get caught and we do things wrong, that God in his love is not allowing us to get away with the silliness in our lives. But, but he's doing it because he loves us and he has a purpose in our lives. And we can grow that confidence. And we have that confidence. It keeps us, by the way, from rescuing people all the time. Sometimes when we start rescuing believers from all their mistakes, we're thwarting the work of God, the work that God wants to do in their lives. As we have confidence in God, you know, and what he's doing, <clears throat> we can trust that God knows what he's doing in that person's life as he allows them. I'm not saying that we don't rescue them ever, but sometimes we spend our lives rescuing people and they never find the sufficiency of God as they turn to us. Um, Romans 5, 3 to 5 says the same thing in uh, I'm just going to skip right through that, but um, Romans 5 says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the sufferings produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Joy is not fake. It is a quiet confidence and expectation of seeing God at work in us and through us. This is the same joyful anticipation of Titus 1-2 where we started. Joy looks at life and says, what am I going to learn from the Lord today? It springs from a confidence that God loves me and is maturing me and changing me into the image of his son. Joy to me is being amazed at what God is doing. If we would just open our eyes and say, Lord, what are you doing? But if we're living under the bondage of a work ethics Christianity where I've got to do and do and do, we're so concerned about what people think about us and whether we're arriving or whether we're going to make it, we don't have the ability to look around and be open to see God at work in people's lives. It gives us a hope and an optimism as we talk to them. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Um, Okay. <clears throat> oh, almost done. Um, how do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? You know, when you, when you go to Galatians 5, this verse is not up on the screen, but how do you know? It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, happiness, long-suffering. The fruit of the flesh is, <clears throat> and then uh, Galatians chapter 5, the whole section here. But a counsel, this is one of the greatest counseling tools that we have, is Galatians chapter 5. But in Galatians chapter 5, he says, um, in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, you know, but if we want to really understand, Lord, am I walking with you or am I not walking with you? Then we look at what's coming out of my life. What is coming out of my life? Am I jealous? 
Am I angry all day? Am I upset at this and that? <clears throat> there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But the Spirit of God wants us to be examining my life. life. Lord, what is coming out of my life? Am I filled with anxiety all day long? Am I, and, and God, the Spirit of God just wants to keep pointing us to the fact that I'm not happy with this. This is all that's coming out of my life. How do I do? Find help. God created the body of Christ to give us help. Get alongside. Find somebody. <clears throat> Come into church one hour a week will not be the blessing that you need. This is a wonderful place to come and worship the Lord together as a body of Christ, to be encouragement. Go, find a good Christian friend. Go to lunch once a week with them. Find a group, a Bible study, a life group, something where you're ministering and working and you have an opportunity to open up with what's going on inside your life. God wants to use us but we need each other desperately, and God wants to use the body of Christ to minister to you, you know, and to minister to me. But we need to be in there. Last verse, John chapter 15. <clears throat> Verses 9 to 13. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in the love of God for us. It doesn't make, it, uh, this is not an excuse or a license to sin. <clears throat> but when we've blown it, God has not stopped loving us. The Spirit of God has not stopped working in us. He is transforming us day by day into the image of his son. And he says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments. And abide in his love. But notice why he writes this. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. God is only interested in our very best. He wants our joy to be full, but that joy becomes full as we learn to walk and participate in his plan for my life, as I begin to understand all that he has. And, you know, when we talk about, and this, Tim did this last week, you know, you see that word, oh, I got to do all the commandments. No, Jesus simplified it in the New Testament. He said all the commandments are fulfilled in one commandment. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. As God begins to teach us how to love, Jesus is excited about walking this journey with us. We are not... Um, just empty tools. We are his children. But everything is experienced first. When we learn to live in his love, we learn to love others and put them first. We can burn ourselves out living the Christian life in the flesh. God wants us involved in his work, but have confidence that he will show you where he wants you to be involved. There is no end to the amount of things that we can do for God. 
But, but the Lord has a design and a purpose for our lives. And sometimes we make choices to do certain things, and they don't even work out the way we want them to work out. <clears throat> Last story. When I was living in South Jersey, pastoring a church, I took a ride through the Bronx one time with my brother-in-law. We were doing a moving job. We crossed across Bronx Expressway. I will tell you, I, I, I was flabbergasted. I had never been there before. I never saw so many big buildings and tall buildings and so many people in one little place in my entire life. But when I was riding through there, the Lord challenged me to go to New York. I was watching a movie one day about a girl who ran out of night, and I realized how many girls run away to New York City, get captured up in the slave trafficking. And my wife and I, <clears throat> I felt led to go and start a ministry for runaway girls. I never ended up starting that ministry, but I did go to New York. And while I was in New York, God taught me a lot of things for myself. But I, act, I stepped out by faith. I know the Lord sent us to New York. And what was really interesting is while I'm in New York, we get a phone call from somebody who led somebody to Christ in Florida who lived in Brooklyn. And in that phone call, they said, you know what, this guy just trusted Christ. He needs somebody to teach him the Bible. And he wants you to know if you would go down there and run a Bible study. Well, the man had a factory in the Red Hook section of Brooklyn where he dismantled vehicles and shipped them overseas. And every Thursday night, when we, <clears throat> after we started to go down there, he would have a Bible. He would invite us to dinner. He would invite his employees for dinner. And we'd have a Bible study after dinner in his home. Now, I didn't go to New York to do that ministry, but God opened up a door to a man who wanted to grow, but he desperately wanted his mother to trust Christ, so he would invite his mom to the Bible study, and one night we were talking about the fact that salvation is by faith, not by works. <clears throat> and she started saying, well, you have to do this, and I sat there that night, and I, I looked at her, and I was trying to talk to her about the Lord, and I said, no. I said, look at the thief on the cross. I said, the thief on the cross did nothing. He didn't get baptized. He didn't start going to church. He just simply said, Lord, remember me when you go into my kingdom. And Jesus said, tonight, you will be with me in paradise. And I'm, you know, and, and this guy really wanted to get his mother saved. And I'm talking to his mother. And there's a lady standing over, sitting over here at the table at the dinner. And as I'm sharing that, <clears throat> all of a sudden, she goes, oh, i never seen that. That is so simple. I have never understood that before in my life. And she trusted Christ that night. And she was so excited. Her niece was shot by the son of Sam, by the way. The son of Sam was in New York. But she trusted Christ, and she started to go into Bible studies. She went to a couple conferences, and she died eight months later of cancer. We don't know who and why, where God has us and who he wants to minister to. But we just need to step out by faith and go and trust that the Lord has something for us in our lives. And he continues to teach us and help us to grow. You guys are a blessing. Thank you. Let's pray.